Welcome. I'm Janice Farnholtz Province. I'm the nurse representative on the planning committee, and it's my pleasure to introduce Dr. Teresa Bowen Spinelli, Assistant Residency Director, Staten Island University Hospital. Dr. Bowen Spinelli. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Um, again, my name is Teresa Bowen Spinelli, and I'm here representing Staten Island University Hospital, an affiliate of North Shore LIJ. Today, we're going to be talking about abdominal pain, but it's not the pathology that we're very used to as emergency medicine physicians. In fact, we're going to be talking about chronic abdominal pain. When you think of the word chronic, it almost makes me cringe, given the fact that we are trained to be emergency medicine, and in the acute life-threatening event is what we're most comfortable in dealing with. So I just want you to take a moment, and I want you to think about the whiteboard at your institution. And when patients present, sometimes how you might be met with a frustration. You might think to yourself, wow, really? At this hour, for this chief complaint, the patient decides to come in? And so with that, it might bring about some degree of frustration. But I'm here to allay your fears and help you navigate through that thought. <laughs> okay. <laughs> a very, I've actually seen that complaint, by the way. <laughs> okay. So why is this important? Pain in of itself is a very common chief complaint we encounter. Over 11 to 13% of what we see in the ER is actually not acute and not critical. It's also not appropriate for us to manage in the ER, but yet patients still come. So it's important that we investigate and evaluate our approach and management. And second, chronic issues are time-consuming and costly, so it's a real exhaust of resources. So this is a particular case I have at my shop. She's a 30-year-old female with a history of numerous prior surgeries. She's undergone many evaluations, including admissions and consults, still with a, without a diagnosis. And every time she walks to the ER, I notice there's almost a, a glow to her, because in the past few years, she's had 22 CAT scans. So to me, when she comes in, I found myself, prior to offering this lecture, almost frustrated at times because I didn't know how to navigate. So that's what I'm here to do. Prevent you guys to self-harming yourself when these patients come along. So the goals of this lecture are things I wish to highlight with you. We're gonna define chronic abdominal pain. I'm gonna offer you an approach in which I coined called the four E's management, and we're gonna discuss experimental treatments. So just like any reliable ER physician, I went to the most, source, the most reliable sources I knew, Google and Wikipedia. The definition of abdominal pain is further divided into acute and chronic. But again, we're not going to be discussing acute, we're going to be discussing chronic. And chronic abdominal pain further subdivide, sub, subdivides into what's named functional. And functional means that there's no organic or pathological understanding, meaning prior lab test evaluations do not meet a criteria for a diagnosis. Functional abdominal pain is further divided into syndrome and disorders. And for our utility, the difference doesn't genuinely matter, but I thought it was worth reviewing. So, similar to the DSM for psychiatry, specialists internationally meet and they gather and create a criteria, and it's termed the Rome criteria. Currently, we're up to Rome class three. And basically what it is, is currently it's a 200-page manual that instructs physicians how to manage chronic abdominal pain. The theory that's stated in the Rome 
bacteria is that it's not quite understood. It's thought to be a combination of a brain-gut biofeedback by which psychosocial factors interact and influence gut motility. And based on theories of hypersensitivity or increased neurotransmitters, patients are extremely sensitive and, and more likely display pain. So let's go and deal with some facts. There's a female prevalence amongst those who suffer with chronic abdominal pain, and there's also an increased association with psych diagnoses, as well as chronic pain, excuse me, and neuro disorders. In general, this is a baseline very hard to manage. It's a multidisciplinary approach with numerous specialists at baseline for the outpatient management. So you can only imagine navigating or trying to find information that informs me of acute management is even difficult. And as I said earlier, this is based on a limited understanding. There are still theories as to how this exists. And so in that regard, management is not so concrete and clear. So I want you to think back to that patient earlier. And we're going to start to talk about our approach to the patient. So again, encountering the patient that's from my shop, you have to think, how do you normally manage the patient? Do you default to a repeat CAT scan and repeat bloods? Or do you just give the patient pain meds because you're concerned that they might be just here for pain? Well, ideally, that's what I'm here to address and teach. And again, I mentioned to you, it's going to be the 4E approach. So evaluating further, the way you're going to approach the patient is by the following. You're going to evaluate your expression and empathy. You're going to fully evaluate the patient with a full HPI and physical exam. You're going to identify the patient's expectations. And lastly, you're going to ensure follow-up. So let's start to dive in and discuss. Reality is perception, or rather, perception is reality. The two go hand in hand. With the frustration that we discussed earlier, sometimes you might be met with with chronic disorders, do you think that's not communicated? It is, and it's done so loudly. In a study published in, in Emergency Medicine Annuals in 2004, they evaluated patients' perception based on what physicians were communicating. And what they noted was that greater than 55% was interpreted from the patient simply from body language. And oddly enough, less than 10% was communicating by the choice of words. So understand, your message of frustration is well communicated. At baseline, because of the current situation we live on, uh, live in rather, us as physicians, and spe specifically emergency medicine physicians, it's kind of a balancing act where we, re where we realize we have to treat pain, but at the same time have an idea of whether we're feeding to an addiction or an abuse. And so by all that, sometimes we walk and approach a patient with a bias. And doing so can be fatal. Now, this slide is a little labor-intensive to read, but I'm going to share with you because it's based on a true story. It's a busy shift, and the rack is full. The next patient to be seen is what we call a frequent flyer. It's her third time this past week. And reluctantly, you take her chart and barely listen to her complaints. Her, her pain seems different from what you know from baseline, and she also reports a cough. You decide to order a chest x-ray, and the staff scoff and ridicule you, since you know she's just here for pain meds. She's just a seeker. After her chest x-ray, radiology calls you, and today her pain is different. 
she was diagnosed with a new chest wall mass. So understand that if you approach a patient with a bias, you have a hard time evaluating acute pathology because we have to understand is that chronic patients can develop acute pathologies. And we can't dismiss it and off-label it as a chronic issue. So again, I encourage you to walk into a room and diffuse your preconceived notions and prior experiences as patients have reported in prior journal articles. So next, evaluation. You have to take the time to talk to the patient. And in terms of eliciting to figure out whether there's an acute or new pathology, much is going to be obtained by the core concepts of an HPI, which we know are comprised of eight elements. Now to most patients, these symptoms have been probably occurring for some time, given the fact that the complaint is chronic. But the question is, is what is new from baseline? And they, who've been suffering with the disease pathology for some time, know what their baseline is. And it's important that if you identify something from a difference in baseline, you should be encouraged to work it up. Chronic abdominal pain is surprisingly even a diagnosis amongst pediatric populations. And in the study of pediatric annuals, it was published that they look and sought out to find clinical findings or rather red flags that would encourage outpatient physicians to do a further evaluation. Now these are just a few to list, but also keep in mind this is a guideline. And while this is only be applied to the pediatric population, it's something to keep in mind for adult populations. After doing a full HPI and discerning whether this is acute or chronic, the next thing you have at your disposal is physical exam. Dr. Carnett in 1926 coined the term the Carnett sign. And what he chose to seek out was a clinical sign that was helping him differentiate abdominal wall pain versus intra-abdominal pathology. The test is performed by having the patient lie supine and with flexion of their neck, with flexion of their abdominal wall muscles, either pain is reproduced or alleviated. A positive sign is denoted by the fact that with flexion, pain worsens. Hence, it's likely abdominal wall pain. While with flexion, pain is relieved, it's probably an intra-abdominal pathology brewing. The validity of this test has only been studied in 1977. It was a very small patient population whereby which 120 ED patients were deemed to have abdominal tenderness. Surgeons then serially examined the patients and either remarked whether they were Carnet sign positive or Carnet sign negative. All patients, given the fact that this was 1977 and there was limited radiologic imaging, particularly CAT scan, went to the OR for exploratory lap. And what they found is a majority of the patients who are Carnet sign positive, suggesting abdominal wall pathology, in fact, had nothing on exploratory lap, except for one. Again, this is a small sample. The study was uh, very limiting to describe the patient characteristics, but something to think about. Another useful tip you have in your physical exam is called the eyes closed test. And basically, you are to perform it on deep palpation. The thought process is if that a patient chooses to close their eyes during the examination, they might be expecting the pain. And when they expect the pain, they might have outward concerns, meaning consciously or unconsciously. And based on that, there might be a thought of a psychological etiology. So again, I encourage you, as this is quoted in the Neurogastroenterology Journal, 
is it's important to elicit any new changes from baseline. And if anything is new, consider working it up. Otherwise, if it's just a symptom issue, nausea, diarrhea, constipation, you can combat that with resources you have in the emergency room. It's also important to evaluate prior records and see if the current presentation is similar to prior. And then it allows you to tailor your treatment plan. Which brings me to my next E, expectations. It's very important that the expectations of the patient align with what your plan is. Otherwise, it can mount to a difficult doctor-patient relationship. It's important on your evaluation to find out what does the patient expect? Do they expect a new diagnosis? And it should be understood to them that given the ER with limited resources and time, it's very unlikely. However, if you're able to identify a simple a symptom that they wish to be addressed, you can create a plan together and the patient has buy-in to your evaluation. So again, I encourage you, create a plan. If it's acute, you can work it up further and then always compare from baseline versus, versus if it's just an isolated symptom relief, you can reassess the patient for dispo. Interestingly enough, it's documented on the American Chronic Pain Association website. It actually encourages patients to be aware of the use of the ER. For instance, it significantly says that the ER is unable to diagnose long-term problems and also limited to do extensive labs or imaging. And lastly, offer long-term prescriptions. The other thing you have at utility is if you must CAT scan, then do so. In a study evaluated in 2013, it looked at the utility of repeat CAT scans in the emergency med in the ER. And what it did is it excluded patients who had a history of prior abdominal surgery, trauma, or known GI disease. And what they did was they defined a positive CAT scan as requiring medical or surgical intervention, including admission. And as repetitive CAT scans were performed on 200 patients, they found that repeat CTs offered little diagnostic use, something to keep in mind. Also, repeating CAT scans, as we all know, has an increased risk of radiation. It's documented by the FDA that a baseline risk for cancer is 20%. And for each exposure to a CAT scan, you increase that risk by 0.05%. Hence, with repetitive CAT scans, you compound that. The last E I wish to discuss with you is ensure follow-up. These patients, they need a direction, they need navigation. And they're probably coming to you because they're at their wit's end for whatever issue is. And to them, that's an emergency. So be sure, on your evaluation, you communicate with outpatient MDs if you choose to discharge them. And discharge them with whatever relief offered, what's offered to them in the ER. So if Zofran works for their nausea, consider discharging them with Zofran. And lastly, any workup or evaluation you do in the ER, you should be encouraged to discharge a patient with so that the doctors who serially follow the patient can have a trend from baseline. The other thing to elicit is what resources specifically outpatient follow-up. If a patient's at their wit's end and has seen all the specialists, it might be time to refer them to chronic pain management. So again, I wish to summarize, as patients out are met with this outpatient, these are guidelines for physicians in terms of it's really important to effectively create a patient-physician relationship just so that fears are allayed and the patient feel well cared for. We'll now move on to experimental options, whereby which it's very important to explain the concept of care, not cure. Not all of these um, 
treatments can be instituted in the ER, but it is something to note. So again, because the thought is that it's a brain-gut theory, most treatments that are recommended that are experimental hone in on this. As of right now, antidepressant drugs are increasingly being used and studies are being designed to test a clinical effectiveness. Currently, the two medications at disposal for such patients are tricyclic antidepressants or SSRIs, both of which, again, are unlikely to be instituted from the ER standpoint, but you do have psych to initiate that care if you wish. Another experimental treatment is a little hard for me to discuss, given the fact that federally it's illegal. <laughs> now, we know, <laughs> we know the association between chronic pain and cannabis use, but it is something to think about that with time, if this does become a federally legal, is randomized controlled trials and prospective trials would have to be conducted. And lastly, besides carrying your pharmacopoeia or your trauma shears, the next thing is a pocket watch. Because believe it or not, what's been having increased and proven effectiveness is hypnosis. So in summary, I hope you understand the definition of chronic abdominal pain, and you've chosen to maybe incorporate into your clinical practice my four E's. Lastly, understand that acute pathology can present in chronic patients and maybe consider adding a pocket watch to your repertoire. Are there any questions? Thank you.